2: Being comes before doing. See, God is really more interested in who you are than what you do. Character comes way before charisma, except on Christian, quote, TV. I won't go there, but some of you know what I'm talking about. So, This prerequisite is to simply spend time with God. So say that with me. Being comes
0: before doing. The world system values results over the personal quality of the individual. You see and hear about the rich and famous, and you're told all about all their successes. It's rare that you hear about their actual personality or their temperament when out of the spotlight. Pastor Mark will be teaching about God's expectation for his followers. You'll hear about God's valuing of character and how he works in your life to develop the quality of character that he wants you to have. You'll also find out some of the reasons that developing godly character will matter in your life. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. He'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in Mark chapter 3 as he begins his message, connected to God who is present and active.
1: Lord, let us hear
2: your lessons You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 3, book of Mark chapter 3. I want you to see how creative you are and see what kind of a memory you have. See if you can finish this. The best part of waking up. Hey, very good. Let me change it. The best part of waking up is waking up. How many say amen to that? But I'm going to add another one. The best part of waking up is that God is already up. Wouldn't it be terrible if you lived in Taiwan? You'd have to get up at the wrong hour. If God was on shifts from 12 to 12, say, well, God's an American God, right? So we're going to learn something very interesting that goes along with what you and I've been talking about. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you kind of get your eyes open, what's on your mind? One God, most of you are headed to the back of the room and then to have what? A little cup of coffee or hot tea. It's a known fact that what we focus on as we start a day is pretty much it has a great impact on what we do. So we're going to see today disciples in training, people like you and me, the original 12. And Jesus is going to teach them so much. He has two purposes for them which are the same purposes for you and for me. And we're going to see how that goes. Now, let me just remind you again, this series of When Disciple and Sin comes from Matthew 28. Converts are not enough. Baby Christians are not enough. Uh, Being a carnal Christian is not what God wants. We're doing two things. We're trying to learn how to become disciples of Jesus, ourselves, And then the Great Commission gives us a commandment. And basically, Jesus says this, go and reproduce yourself. Make another disciple just like you. Now, remember, early in his ministry, Jesus understood that he was going to give that Great Commission. He would, early on, begin to group some people around him so he could teach them his message and his methods. And He knew when he went back to heaven, these disciples would carry on the role, the character, the teaching of Jesus. So Jesus chose 12 men, apostles, disciples, and Jesus knew this truth. You need to know it. Before you can make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. Before you can make a disciple, you yourself. And of course, that discipleship process is lifelong, but you have to be started in that process. Now, remember what a disciple is, a lifelong learner, under discipline, a growing, mature Christ follower. Now, turn to Mark chapter three, where I've asked you to turn all of our campuses and go down to verse 13. If you're new, we'll show you where we're going and you can just follow through with us as we head through this amazing few verses. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach And to have authority to drive out demons. Now picture yourself as one of these 12. What are you expecting? What do you think is going to happen? Put some sandals on. We're a learner. And let's see if we can see what these 12 disciples learn. As you begin taking notes, there's two purposes. And I want you to write those down. Number one. They come directly from Jesus. Jesus would have sat down with them, these disciples, and here's what he would have said. My number one purpose with you is to be with you. My purpose for you is for you to be with me, Jesus. In other words, to be means to spend time with. Number two purpose is during this three years, and then of course even more so afterward, the purpose number two is to send you out. You see, the purpose is never to come and sit in a church and then just to go to heaven. The purpose is to become a disciple and then go out and preach the gospel, touch people, cast out demons, become a role model, a mentor for other disciples. Now, Jesus was calling them to this thing called discipleship of action. The first purpose, to become like him. The second purpose, to minister like him. To become like him and to minister like him. Now, I want you to understand something very important. The first purpose, this is why Jesus gave it. It's not just in there like, "Well, let me see what I'm going to say. The first purpose is a prerequisite to the second purpose. Do you understand that? You can't be sent out until you become like him. So the first purpose comes first. As that is developing, then the second can happen. And I wrote it like this, being comes before doing. See, God is really more interested in who you are than what you do. Character comes way before charisma, except on Christian, quote, TV. I won't go there, but... Some of you know what I'm talking about. So this prerequisite is to simply spend time with God. So say that with me. Being comes before doing. See, if you're a parent, that's a huge principle. And that's true in every area of life. You see, what we do is always determined by who we really are. So their personal relationship with Jesus, spending time with him, would precede their service for him. Now, later, he will send them out. But a disciple, your purpose is to become like him, to spend time with him. Now, look at verse 14 again. I'm going to give you three or four lessons that the disciples learned Things that you will learn as well. So in verse 14, we actually see the very first spiritual lesson that these disciples learn. Look at verse 14. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. Lesson number one. Write it down. Spiritual growth doesn't happen alone. This chair represents trying to do life alone. When Jesus calls the 12 of them, and sometimes you never think about this, but it's good for you to think about it. He's saying to his disciples, I've designated you because God has to not do life alone. We're not going to do this one-on-one. I'm not sending you off in all your corners. We're going to do this thing together. The 13 of us are going to do life together. You're going to get to know me. They would never learn that Jesus wanted to teach them if they were alone. They needed the teacher with them. Now, here's something we don't think about. Who else didn't want to be alone? Jesus. Jesus didn't want to be alone. Remember, he's fully man and fully God. You were created as a man, as a woman, not to be alone. You want to belong. That's part of us. That's why when you say this word, it brings chills to all of us. Lonely. It's miserable. We were never created to be that way. So what you're going to see is this was the ultimate small group. They weren't isolating themselves. That's why we have all these home groups coming. You don't want to isolate yourself. Now with that mixture of people, this ultimate home group, what did it look like? Well, it looked like this. Companionship and fellowship, and here's a word we don't like, accountability. They would be accountable not only to one another, but they would be accountable to Jesus. Like Jesus, they would be connected to God and to one another. There's two connections we need. Listen to Barclay, great, great commentator. It's significant that Christianity began with a group. The Christian faith is something from which the beginning had to be discovered and lived out in fellowship. The whole essence of the way the Pharisees was that it separated men from one another. The very name Pharisee, which was the Jewish religious, religious guys, means the separated one. The whole essence of Christianity was that it bound men together in fellowship, And presented them with the task of doing life with each other and for each other. So here's the second thing I want you to write, principle tonight. Good reminder for all of us. God intends for us to experience life. We call that sticky. In other words, application, actually doing what he designed us to do to him and to other Christ followers. I'm sorry to say, because I know church history and I know kind of the United States, you're going to be surprised, but many, many, many believers in the United States don't want to do life with any other people, and they really don't do life with God. What they do is they do life with church. It's a vast difference. So I'm going to show you tonight how God really wanted it done. Now, sometime later, after this group of 12 got together with Jesus, I'm sure a number of the disciples would have asked this, Jesus, how did you pick us? Have you ever wondered why God picked you? In John 15, he says, he's chosen you. I often wonder, why me? Well, the disciples would have said the same thing as they looked around at each guy. They would have been saying, Jesus, why in the world did you pick? We're like, we the cream of the crop? If you know the disciples, you already know the answer to that. What was so special about us that we get this privilege? Now, how did Jesus choose these specific 12? Did Jesus choose them? Because they had this wide range of backgrounds and life experiences. So he wanted to be politically correct. Did Jesus choose them because of their talents and their abilities? You already know the answer to that. Well, they were very diverse. But none of them had any kind of unusual ability. They were just normal people that were very, very different. So how did Jesus make this very important decision. How do you make decisions? Every day we make hundreds of decisions. How do you make them? Well, how did Jesus end up with these 12? To know how he did it is the beginning of an understanding of where we're going. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Remember, we already discussed Jesus didn't want to be alone, and he was never really alone, because Jesus had this ability to interact with his Father. Now look at verse 12, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Now one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. Prayer is simply two-way conversation, God, speaking and listening, and spent the night Praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So, before choosing these 12 men, Jesus spent the night alone with God. After spending time with him, Jesus knew the 12 that God wanted. Now, when Jesus answered that question, I want you to see, this is going to be God, and this is going to be us. The disciples were saying to Jesus, how did you choose us? Did you line us up? Did you like, oh, I like that, I'll take that one there, and this one there. How did you do it? Well, what we discover is this important principle, he did it with who? He did it with God. Now, why did he do it with God? You now, gonna, you're going to think this is strange, but you want to write this down because this is huge. When Jesus came, he was God. But he set aside that and he operated as a man. And so for him to know who to choose... He went and spent the whole night talking with his father. And here's why he needed to do that. Here's the principle you want to write. We don't know what God knows. You say, Pastor Mark, I know what God knows. Ah! (laughs) Yeah, and that's why you're living like you're living. See, we don't know what God knows. Only God is all-knowing. We don't know what God knows. I need to know what God knows. But I often live my life like this. I just make my own decisions. I just live my life the way I want. Now, if I get in a real bind, yes, I'll go talk to God. But understand, we don't know what God knows. And that's why Jesus was teaching his disciples a huge principle. You can't do life. Without God. The decisions we need to make in life come from a relationship with the one who knows everything, and that's God. So they're learning a very important principle early on. For the next three years, what would happen is they would spend time with Him. And over those three years, remember Jesus was God, but He set that aside. You see it often in Scripture. Jesus would bring him back in the evening after doing a day. And the disciples would say to him, "Um, what what, what did you mean by that principle that you taught us today? Can you explain it? How do we apply it? And they began to learn who God was, who Jesus was. Later, at Caesarea Philippi, finally Peter got it right. You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. But early on, they didn't understand all of that. Eventually, they would get it. Now, remember, all of this time here, early on, is being comes before doing. If you're here and you've never understood the very simple principle that you can't do life alone, of course, as an unbeliever, impossible, but as a believer, you cannot do life. You were never designed to do life alone. You have to do life with God. That's the only way in obedience, in applying those principles that life works. So the disciples would spend three years becoming more than actually doing. A few little things, we'll catch one of them, where they did some things. He sent them out. But very often, they were just becoming. They were learning who God really was. Now, here's number two. When Jesus gave them that answer... What was the lesson they learned and the lesson we need to learn? Here it is. Lesson number two, spending time with God helps us to know God. As they're spending time with Jesus, they're getting to know him. Not about him, but to know him. Now, most people, even many Christians, don't know about God. They know his name, they know a little bit about God, but they really don't know him personally. Now, you can say why. Well, you can just see there, because they don't spend time with him. Now, what is God really like? Is God really knowable? If so, how? One of the reasons, many, that Jesus came to this earth, one of the reasons was to show man... What God was like. You've heard me say it many times. Jesus would say to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, as the disciples spend time with Jesus and his words, they really learn to know God and his character. You see, the more you know a person, the more you can trust a person. The better we know God and his character, the easier it is to obey. If you were raised in a home, where you were kind of taught this, God's holy, you're not, that's true, and you can never please him, and actually he's against you, he's not really for you. If you were raised at home, you'll have a very difficult time doing life. I want to give you two little principles, number one. Knowing someone takes time. You don't know somebody unless you spend time with them. Somebody came up with this little formula, I, I thought it was very good, T plus T plus T equals no. Time, talk, together, or togetherness. That's exactly right. That's the way it looks like. Well, let me ask you a question. Those of you that have been married a few years, would you say you know your spouse more today than you knew your spouse on the honeymoon? And if you want to say no, we have the marriage counseling forms right at the back the longer we with somebody, what? The more we know them. If you've been married a little while, you know that's so true for all of us. The more time we spend with someone, the more we know them.
0: Thanks for joining Pastor Mark today on Lessons for Living. If you'd like to hear more from this study, you can find additional teachings online now at calvaryccm.com. We know that this time in our world is uncertain, but one truth remains steadfast. God is in control. During this season, we encourage you to spend time in the Word, in prayer, and in the presence of your Creator. As with many churches across our nation, Pastor Mark and the Calvary Chapel Melbourne community are holding church online. The church isn't the building, it's the people who, despite whatever obstacles are in their way, they still worship Jesus and praise His name. We'd love for you to join us. Visit calvaryccm.com slash live, or join us over on Facebook, YouTube, or Roku. We'll be having services on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m we look forward to worshiping with you in this way until we can be gathered together as the body once again. We also know how essential prayer is during this time, and we want you to know we're constantly lifting our listeners up to the Lord. Is there anything specific we can be praying about for you? Let us know by visiting our contact page at calvaryccm.com. And would you do the same for us? Please keep Pastor Mark and our church staff in your prayers, along with our nation's leaders and those affected by this virus. Thank you for praying. If you feel led to support Lessons for Living financially during this time, we would be very grateful. You can donate online at calvaryccm.com. That's all for today. Join us again for another edition of Lessons for Living.
1: In a hurting world, a new hope he is giving.